please turn with me now in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John. And we're going to be reading from the end of the second chapter. That's verse 28 to verse 3 of the third chapter. The first epistle of John. End of the second chapter from verse 28 down to verse 3 of the, se- of the third chapter we will be reading in a moment. So boys and girls who are here this morning, I wonder if I could ask you a question. Do you love your mommy and your daddy? Yeah, I hope you do. Does your mommy and your daddy care for you? If, if that is yes, if the answer is yes, and you, are, you are truly blessed. You have something that not everybody has. Not every boy and girl in the world has a mommy and a daddy who care and love them, feed them and cherish them. Now, us who are a bit older, we know how rare that is in the world. We know of more and more of the difficulties in family life. Many families have great struggles. So if you have a stable and a loving home, thank God for that. That is something that not everyone has. Today, we see it, don't we? Families are in much trouble these days. There are things happening in families we would have scarcely imagined 20 years ago, 30 years ago. There are the breakdown of the marriage, the home. And as we look at that, we should be really sad, but also really thankful if we do have a happy home. If you are married, cherish your spouse. If you have children, raise them, love them in the way that is pleasing before God. But as we see, a stable and a happy home becoming rarer and rarer today, and not just outside of the church. Let's be, let's be honest, friends. Even within the church, it is becoming a rarer and rarer thing. Let us be thankful for the stability and the blessings and the love that God has provided us with through our physical home. But dear friends, I come before you not just to talk about a physical family, as much as a blessing that is, but another family we become members of, not by nature, but by grace. One we're adopted into. One we are lavished love upon, we can scarcely fathom or imagine. And what family is that? God's family. God's children. And we talk about a stable and a happy home. Oh, is that not a stable and a happy home? With God. A place of nourishment, a place of warmth, and a place we enter into by faith in Jesus Christ. Called, wonderfully called, children of God. And we're going to see this As we read this in our text, 
children of God. Have you ever thought about how wonderful it is to be called a child? I know as we get older we think, I don't want to be called a child. I'm an adult. I'm a big person. But dear friends, what a blessing it is to be called a child of the Most High God. To be part of a loving home. You are blessed, but you are part, if you believe in Jesus Christ, a greater home. And dear child of God, look to Jesus Christ. Keep your eye fixed on him. As he, and he alone saves you from your sins. Because we are part of a greater family in him. So we're going to read now from God's holy and infallible word. 1 John chapter 2, verses 28, down to verse 3 of the following chapter in verse 3. Let us hear God's holy word. And now, little children, abide in him. And when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. Our title for this morning's message is to be called children of God. To be called children of God. As we look at this letter of 1 John, as we continue to go through this series, looking at this letter, it is a letter written to many churches. You may see in your Bible Sometimes it's called a general epistle or a Catholic epistle. That just basically means it's been written to many people and many different churches. And when we got many different churches, we have different struggles, different temperaments, different challenges, wide range of people being looked at. And there are parts of this letter will make you think and wonder, am I really a Christian? That will make you examine Whether you are truly born again of the Spirit of God. Because it was a real problem back then. And it is a real problem today. This letter does not just speak to the first century. It also speaks almost 2,000 years later to us here in 2023 in Rathra Island. It, It asks us to examine our faith to see if we truly know him. Because many people say that they are Christians. And frankly... They produce none of the fruits of saving faith. But now, having looked at the more challenging passages, and there'll be others later on, we're coming to a more positive part. Verses 1 to 3 we're going to be looking at this morning. 
And we're going to be looking at the blessings of having this title called, given to you, children of God or offspring of God, made part of a family, a different family, not just the family you've been born into, but a different and a greater family. And in order to be brought into this family, dear friends, you need to be born again. Even John says it at the end of chapter 2. You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And this is a spiritual birth. Born again of the Spirit of God. That we would look to him and be brought in and adopted into his family. And my great prayer is this morning that every true believer in this building would be strengthened. Every true believer would go out of this building when we leave after the service of worship with greater confidence and assurance that they belong to God and that you, dear friend, are a child of God. That the Lord may give hope to our hearts and that we may see that though we may not have ourselves There are many people who have not had stable and ideal homes. Many. But we have a stable and an ideal home with God. A stable and an ideal home in heaven. The first point we're going to look at here this morning is number one, the privilege. The privilege. The privilege of being called children of God. And dear friends, no matter what you're going through here this morning... No matter how difficult your life may be. As a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are, all of us, as believers, the most privileged people to walk upon the face of the earth. Do you see this? It doesn't matter how rich your neighbor may be. It doesn't matter how, many, how much blessings you think he may have without Christ. He or she has nothing. You can't bring it with you. To the next world. We with Christ. In Christ. Through Christ. Are the most privileged people. Upon the face of the earth. And the world does not have. What we have. It says in verse 1 of our text. Behold. What manner of love. The father has bestowed on us. That we should be called. Children. Of God. Children of God. And what's another way of saying what manner? It would be like what kind? Or what quality of love? Or what sort of love is this? Is it great love? Or is it small? Dear friends, we're only going to see the greatness of this love when we see the greatness of the sin we have been forgiven in order for this to be possible. It is only then the world will think, well, that's not love. The world will look at the gospel. And the world does not think that that is love at all. Friend, the most loving thing I can warn you about here this morning is the danger and the reality of hell that faces every single person who is without Christ who leaves this world but the world will not see that as loving 
But we all do. Our sins, you see, we don't think of our sins as that bad. We think of our sins, preferences, little blemishes here and there. But our sins are loathsome before God. They're something that God hates. Do you see that? God is pure light. He is pure truth. He is pure wisdom. And our sin is pure folly. It is something he disdains. It is something his wrath is brought against. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. There are those who love God and there are those who hate God. And those who hate God, their, their iniquity would be visited upon them with the wrath of God. God brings wrath upon not just sin itself. We kind of like to think of the phrase, God hates the sin and not the sinner. I understand where that phrase kind of comes from, but it is simplistic. God's wrath will be poured upon and God's holy hatred will be poured upon sinners for all eternity. Hell is the perfect, holy hatred of God. It is his righteous wrath. It says in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So as we think about our great privilege as being children of God, we must think of what we've been rescued from. And the greater the depths of what we see of our sin and what we deserve, the greater our gratitude ought to be. Because we see how unworthy we are of being where we are here this morning. We have broken the law of God. And what love, what manner of love, what sort of love, what amount of greatness of love, what quality of love it would take to remove that punishment. What kind of love would that be? For the Lord, the infinite one, the perfect one, to pour upon you love, love, a sinner, a mere creature. God sent his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is his son. This is the one of infinite value. This is the one In whom he delights from all eternity. Brothers and sisters. What love. It's an amazing thing to be called a child of God. To be part of his family. What love. He poured out wrath upon his son. You see when we think of the wrath we deserve. That wrath was placed upon Christ. So I know when we become Christians sometimes the temptation is just, that, well, I don't want to think about the negative parts. But think about what Christ endured for you, dear friend. For you, dear believer in Jesus Christ. And he endured it for you. What manner of love. Now, we also have to think about we are children by grace. We're called children. What a great privilege it is. But we're not children by nature. What are we by nature? By nature, Ephesians tells us, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Paul writes to the Ephesians, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's what we are by nature, children of wrath. But now adopted into his family, treated as a royal son, treated no longer as an enemy of God. You see, before then, there's a great gulf between you and God until you come through Jesus Christ. There is enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Going right back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We read earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 9, In 2 Samuel chapter 9, a figure that people wouldn't really think about much, Mephibosheth, part of the the family of Saul. And the interesting thing about Mephibosheth is part of the the family of Saul, part of the fallen family of Saul. He has nothing to offer. He was lame on his feet. He was dropped on his feet as a child. Nothing to offer. That phrase is actually repeated twice in that chapter. What a great privilege that has been given to Mephibosheth by King David. And he does so for the sake of another. Because of his love for Jonathan, he pours out favor, undeserved favor upon Mephibosheth. This person who has nothing to offer. We have nothing to offer, dear friends. We have nothing to offer God. We have nothing to offer his royal home. We are a lame in our feet. We have nothing to add to his kingdom. But yet at the same time. He yet he pours out his love upon you. Through Jesus Christ. And why does he do so? It's all for his glory. And we get to enjoy. This great and mighty privilege. Of being one of the children of Almighty God. And notice how it's not just a child. We're part of the children of God. We are part of a family. A mighty family. A a large family. Those of you perhaps. There might be some people here. We're the only child in our family. You are part now of a family. You have loads of brothers and sisters in Christ. Where are they you may ask. Look around you. Part of the children of God. It is a great privilege. You didn't have maybe the best father or mother. There are spiritual fathers and mothers within the church. Perhaps you weren't blessed with children. You can be a blessing to the next generation in various different ways in the church. You see, dear friends, yes, your family at home are wonderful. Cherish them. But you have a greater privilege being part of this greater family of God. Our second point now is the problem. There's a privilege, but there's also a problem. I think sometimes with the gospel, the big danger we make is, you know, as soon as you believe, smile and all your problems have gone away. And the new believer will quickly discover that that is not true. The the, the world, the flesh, and the devil will all be out to get you. As one man put it, one, one preacher put it, there's a sense in which when you become a Christian, 
many of your problems will have just begun. Is it wonderful being a Christian? Absolutely. The greatest privilege upon earth. But it does not come without challenge in this world. So we're going to look at that problem here in this text. It says here, uh, verse 1 once again. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us. Because it did not know him. It did not know him. The boys and girls who are here, and I don't know if you remember from a week or two ago at uh, at Sabbath school, we read from the last of the Beatitudes. Boys and girls, you remember the Beatitudes? We read the last Beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Remember we talked about, is that a nice thing to be reviled and persecuted? No, it's not easy being a Christian, is it? And it says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. How strange is that? Be happy, but you're being reviled. Uh, the, the The blessing of that. It's not easy being a Christian. And you know, you, you gave some great answers. Why is it not easy being a Christian? Because of sin in this world. The world knows and loves sin. It not, doesn't just know it, it also loves it. But dear friends, young and old, rich or poor... It does not know us. We must remember that. When we go out into the world, the world doesn't know us. It does not understand us. It does not understand us. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The world doesn't understand Christ. What did the world do? What did a religious generation in the first century in Judea, what did it do when Jesus came? The most righteous, holy, gentle servant of God. What did they do to him? They cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. And that is the most, if that doesn't indict all of mankind, what do we do? The most gentle and lonely The one who served God. He came to his own. And his own received him not. You see dear friends. Unless we are in this greater family. We're part of another family. There are two families in the world. Two families. And the other family. Has a different father. The father of lies. It says in John 8, 44, this is Jesus speaking. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Do you think the father of lies is happy that you have left his family? And gone to be with another family. You'll actually see this sometimes in the world. 
Um, there are certain faiths, um, certain parts of the world, it's very hard to leave Roman Catholic families. Certain parts of the world as well, Jewish families are the same thing. Um, Muslim families. To, you have really, and this is the way it's often seen, betrayed the family. So the family's all going to come out for you. You're no longer a child of the devil when you come to know God. You've now become, you've actually gained an enemy. Before the devil was your friend. But then when you trust in Jesus Christ, he becomes your enemy. But you also have the world and the flesh to deal with as well. And this fallen world, it doesn't understand the Christian way. And it's very, very important, dear friends, as the world gets even harder towards the gospel, especially up in here in Northern Ireland, especially Scotland, England, Wales, parts where the gospel flourished. We have to rediscover this because we have surely lost this in this generation. We have to realize the world doesn't understand this. Now, it doesn't mean we show hardness or bitterness toward them, not at all. But we also have to realize that the way to convert the world is to the glorious gospel. It's not through them seeing how nice we are or through the latest trend. It's going to be through the gospel and through hearts being changed. Now, there's nothing wrong with being nice. We should be nice to our neighbor. We should be friendly. But don't think that that is an evangelistic technique. The gospel converts. We do it wisely when we share it. We should do it prayerfully when we share it. We should do it lovingly when we share it. But dear friends, do not think that when you tell people that they're on their way to hell without Christ, that they will think it's loving. They won't think it's loving until the Holy Spirit does work. The hardest, it's hard. There's people you love. And you, you know when you bring up the gospel with them, they're going to get annoyed. But because you love them so much... You're willing to put that friendship to the test and you share the gospel with them. May we see this problem. But how do we bridge that problem? It's not going to be through politics. It's not going to be through anything else. It's going to be through the gospel. I knew of a man, a friend of mine, he came from an IRA past. And one of his best friends today, because of the gospel, is a former RUC officer. That's through the gospel. You want to bring people together, bring them together through the gospel. In the gospel, our pasts don't matter. Christ is the most important thing that we have. Our third point now, the promise. The promise. Verse 2, beloved Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. What a blessing it is to be called a child of God, to have God as our Father. For he, if he is our father, he will, as a loving father, chasten us. Chasten us. That's what it was 
long been understood years ago, not so much today, but if you love your children, you will correct them. And our Father will correct us and transform us more and more into his image. The Christian believer, when he sees this prom- promise that one day we will be like him, changed you know, in the world to come, we will say, yes, praise God, I want to be rid of my sin. I cannot wait for that day. Bring it on. I cannot wait. My sin wearies me. The world is getting more wicked, it seems, around me. But the unbeliever, the religious hypocrite, who wears a pious mask, will say this, no, I am good as I am. Is this you? This morning. In this world, as believers, we are in some measure like Christ. Because Christ has done a work in our hearts. The Spirit of God has done a work in our hearts. But we're not perfectly like Christ, are we? We're sinners. But there, are, there is an element of which we will be like Christ. Do not marvel. This is John 3, 7. Do not marvel that it is said to you, you must be born again. And this is a spiritual birth, as we said. A special work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the new heart of flesh, removing the heart of stone. But we are still sinners. At the Bible study on Wednesday, we talked about a, f- a famous phrase that Martin Luther and Lutherans still to this day use. And in that Latin phrase in English, it says this, just and sinner. That we are both at the same time, we are just and we're also a sinner at the same time. In ourselves, we're sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. But our standing before God because of our justification is just. Sin. The remaining sin in ourselves is how we are not like him as this text is pointing out. This promise here. Beloved, we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. It has not yet been revealed. We haven't seen the blessings of it. We haven't seen the glory of it. It has not yet been revealed. We will struggle today with our sin. It's not just you. We all struggle with sin. Now, this is not to make it an excuse. But it's an ongoing process. And when we're putting sin to death, if you're growing in the Lord, you are actively putting sin to death. We don't coddle our sin. We put it to death. We will struggle today with it. An unbeliever doesn't struggle with sin though. An unbeliever serves sin. That's the difference. One struggles with it, wrestles with it, suffers with it, and the other one enjoys it. Let this not, though, be an excuse for sin. In in Romans chapter 7, Paul writes about this struggle. Even Paul, as a saved man, goes through this struggle. And he says this in verses 15 to 20 of Romans chapter 7. For what I am doing, I do not understand. You see what he's saying? What I am doing, I do not understand. For what will I will to do, or what I want to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, I do. 
It sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? I hate what, uh, that what I do. There's a struggle going on within Paul, verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the, the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And if you didn't know of the struggle of the Christian, you're probably going, what is going on in Paul's mind? This sounds so strange. He's wrestling within himself. But what is Paul saying? He is doing what the new man. But the new man grieves over it. And he struggles with that remaining sin within us. That will one day be removed. That struggle you're going through today. That temptation you have today in Jesus Christ will one day be gone. As it says, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him. We shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. And if we see him as he is, dear friends. I remember hearing an illustration one time about this. You don't have to make someone love Christ if, if you've been given your eyesight for the first time in your life, no one has to tell you to love the sunset. If you've been given eyesight for the first time in your life, you will see the sun rising and you will see it is beautiful and glorious. But not everyone has eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray for those who do not have eyes to see and ears to hear. Do you see him? If you see him, we see him in a limited way, a little vignettes into the future. But in the future, we will see him, not just little bits, as he is. Now, can we wrap our minds around this? The fullness of this? Not at all. Not at all. But our final point now, we've looked at the, pro- the promise. The promise is like what will come in the future. But now of all this, so being a child of God, there's a purpose in this world. Our final point, the purpose. There is a purity which we are all to strive for here in this world. So we've looked at the privilege, the problem, the promise, and the purpose. And that purpose is a purity as a child of God. Because what else are we a child of God to do? To be like him. To be like our father. We're no longer to be like our former father, the devil. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him, what does he do? He purifies himself just as he is pure. And that's all about being transformed and changed. That's our purpose for being here. Dear friends, you may be at a point in your life, you're wondering, why has the Lord not taken me home yet? Or you may be wondering, why am I here? You are here to be more like Christ. You are here to bring glory to his name. 
And if he has not yet brought you home, it is for that reason. He seeks to transform you and conform you into the image of his son. All the things we think of as successful in this world are not as important as this. A holy life is the most important thing any of us can pursue. When we look at this word hope, sometimes it can be misunderstood. It says here, and everyone who has this hope in him. Now, hope can be misunderstood today because we think of hope, you know, people say, uh, will, will the team win tomorrow? Uh, I hope so. Not that kind of hope. Not that kind of hope. This is more of an expectation. The hope in the Bible is that we expect this to happen. We expect that in the future we will see him as he is. We expect the future to be glorious in Jesus Christ. And when we expect that, when we have that hope in us, the more we have that expectation, the more it will purify and change you. How could it not? How could it not? Change you how you live. Change you how you think. And that is the purpose of our lives. There's so many things that the world thinks is the purpose of our lives. But as the question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the purpose of our lives. That's why we're here. We may have added other purposes to our lives. It may be have a bigger house. It may be to save more money. It may be to whatever it may be. Uh, have your children go through to the nicest colleges. Nothing wrong with these things. But they come a distant second to this purpose. And everyone has this hope in him. Purifies himself. That we would long for heaven. That we would long for the future that lies ahead. Whatever riches you have in this world, dear friends, there will be one day you will have to say goodbye to them. But the riches of the kingdom of heaven will never, ever be done away with. Do you see that? There are greater riches. Which has the greater riches? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdoms of this world all combined. So we chase. What do we chase in this world? Puffs of smoke. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes and other places, Solomon discovered this too. Seek him while he may be found. And dear friends, seek Christ. Because if you seek Christ, there's a contentment there. There's a joy there. We must seek this once again. And I fear that the church in the West has forgotten this. And it must remember this soon. We must see that the church in the West. Not just in Northern Ireland. Look at Scotland. There are places where we're filled with churches. And the churches were filled. Uh, many of them are, are, are empty. Many of them are filled with purely um, a certain generation. We have forgotten the most important thing is holy lives. See, dear friends, the, the danger is this. We tell people to come to Christ. But if they look at our lives, they'll think, do you really believe what you're saying? Think about it. I know I'm not going to be the difference between somebody getting saved and not getting saved. But surely my sin as a believer 
My sin as a minister, my sin as whoever it may be, can put a stumbling block in front of people. And those who are parents here, the sin of parents, the sin of grandparents, can put a stumbling block in front of your children. It is a fearful thing. Does God consume our lives? Do we love him? Do we serve him? Are we purified by him? This is something that will transmit far more than anything else to the next generation. And as we conclude here, we are the most privileged people. Please go home with this thought. People talk about different privileges in in the media today. And um, privilege isn't a bad thing. If you're a privileged person, you've been given many blessings. And the Christian, I believe in Christian privilege. The Christian is the most privileged person upon the face of the earth. And and we want our neighbors who don't know Christ to also have the same privileges. And that comes by faith. And by faith in him. So that they may be too be called the children of God. So they too may see what manner of love the Father has bestowed. Through the Son to his people. Let us look forward dear friends. You are part of a wonderful home. You are part of a stable and loving home. A nourishing home. A home of warmth. A home of welcome. Because God is at the head of that home. And he welcomes you in. All who will come to him. By faith. And by faith alone. May we be all here this morning. Purified. By this hope. Amen.